0: This is African News Tonight on The Voice of America. Hello and welcome. Welcome to VOA Africa. Thank you for joining us. I'm Yeheyes Wuhib in Washington. Here's what's coming up on African News Tonight. The IMF says surging food prices fueled by the war in Ukraine may lead to social unrest in Africa. These stories and more on African News Tonight. We start with our top story. Somalia has taken a major step in the long-delayed process of choosing a president by electing an opposition member as the Speaker of the Lower House of Parliament, but not without some political drama. President Mohamed Abdullahi Mohamed, known as Farmajo, has been joking for power with Prime Minister Mohamed Hussein Roble. There were at odds yesterday over who would provide security for the voting for the lower house speaker. Robley said he authorized the African Union forces to take the task, but Farmaggio insisted that Somali police take the lead. Lawmakers at the venue told VOA Somali Service that AU forces took over the overall security control of the venue with support from the Somali security personnel. The dispute delayed the vote until just after 2 a.m. today, when Sheikh Adan Muhammad Noor, known as Sheikh Adan Madabo, defeated Minister of Energy and Water Resources Hassan Abdi Noor. That appears to pave the way for the indirect election for president, with Formaggio and more than a dozen opposition leaders expected to compete. No date has been set. A conflict observation group monitoring the insurgency in Mozambique's northern Cabo Delgado province says the presence of South African and Rwandan soldiers has forced militants into hiding. But the extremists linked to the Islamic State International Terror Group are still attacking villages and towns, killing civilians. They claim to be fighting to improve the lives of local residents, who they say are being oppressed by the central government. But human rights groups say the extremists have killed about 4,000 people and displaced 800,000 since October
1: 2017. Darren Taylor reports. Soldiers from some of the Southern African Development Community, the SADC Bloc, and Rwanda have been in Cabo Delgado since last July. Security analyst Tomas Kefas says the militants, who local residents call Al Shabaab and international terror experts call Islamic State, or ISIS, Mozambique, moved into neighbouring Niassa province to escape these forces toward the end of last year. Now, he says, the extremists are attacking districts in central Cabo Delgado, where there aren't many Sadeq and Rwandan troops. The attacks have killed more than 200 unarmed civilians, some by beheading, since January.
2: In March this year, we saw insurgents uh, attacking uh... Military base in Mandimba, it's near the main town of Nangadu, and we also saw a significant increase in terms of fatalities as well. So, in terms of battles, we see battles in Makumia as well as in Nangadu,
1: while in Palma seems to be very stable. Kefas works for the Cabo Ligado project in Mozambique which tracks terrorist attacks and clashes between the insurgents and troops in the country. Cabo Ligado is part of the Armed Conflict Location and Event Data Project, ACLED, that records political violence around the world. Kefar says there's good reason why the terrorists are no longer focusing on areas that were previously high-priority targets for them.
2: In the Palma district, we are not seeing many attacks. In Palma, we have the Rwandan forces who are, together with the Mozambican forces, controlling that area. We haven't seen many battles as well as the fatalities and
1: uh, attacks against civilians. He was speaking during a recent webinar organized by South Africa's Institute for Security Studies. Kefas says the extremists have also attacked Matemo Island off the coast of Cabo Delgado, He says soldiers from Mozambique and the SADC deployment known by the acronym SAMEM sometimes joined by local militias have been battling the terrorists in Nangade district. He adds that SAMEM's definitely proving effective.
2: For example, in March, when some forces were operating in Angade. They reported having killed at least 30 insurgents in that area.
1: Other killings as well took place in the Matimu island. Kefar says on the surface, it seems as if terrorist activity in Mozambique is decreasing. For example, there's been no violence in Nyasa province since December, with an apparent reduction in Cabo Delgado itself. We don't exactly know why this is really
2: happening. It's it's quite interesting because um, very recently, the South African Army Defence Forces, they informed that they have no information where the, these groups... Uh, exactly in this moment, so it's quite uh, interesting to see what what's really happening on the ground because they're not being captured, they're not being killed, uh, but uh, somehow Kefar
1: says when the SADAC and Rwandan troops that, have clashed really recently the, with the militants, Vietnam, they haven't managed to kill many. A South African intelligence official told VOA, it seems quite obvious that the extremists have split into smaller groups, making it easier to hide or blend into local populations. He says there's also concern that so-called Al-Shabaab in Mozambique has moved into neighboring countries, especially Tanzania, to regroup and plan. For VOA News, I'm Darren Taylor in Johannesburg. The African Union,
0: UN Women and collaborating partners are set to launch the second phase of an initiative to empower young women and girls with digital literacy. The African Girls Can Code Initiative with funding support from the government of Belgium, aims to empower about 6,000 girls between the ages of 17 to 25 years in several countries including Burundi, Uganda, Tanzania, Kenya, South Africa and Senegal. Mavis Ocheri in Juwaso, in the Ashanti region of Ghana, has more on the story.
3: The initiative is a four-year program which started in 2018 with the aim of training young girls across Africa to become computer programmers, creators and designers. The project places them on track to take up studies and careers in information, communication and technology or ICT Hudan Adu is the country representative in Tanzania for the agency UN Women. She says research shows that women in sub-Saharan Africa make up only 30% of people engaged in careers in science, technology, engineering and mathematics or STEM. She says the program seeks to address the gender gap in this area and ensure that 50% of Africa's population are not left behind. She says for Africa to actively engage and prosper from the industrial revolution, measures should be taken to ensure that girls can use new technologies such as artificial intelligence, robotics and advanced wireless services. She says the second phase of the initiative draws lessons from the first phase which was launched from the government of Denmark and has already trained about 2,000 young girls.
0: We want to make sure that the program um, is addressing the issues of the gender digital divide and ensuring that we look at multiple areas in terms of their skills through these coding camps that will be set up, mainstreaming ICT um, and coding um, in, in gender into the national curriculum, making sure that we also We want to change the the mindset of not just the girls and the education structures, which, of course, includes the teachers, to address social norms and biases that are preventing girls from from, uh, getting into
4: these
3: fields. Edu says Africa's many young and dynamic startups can be enhanced for training. She says there are issues around access to ICT devices and affordability of internet services. These elements at times prevent young girls from venturing into advanced technologies. She says such services should be made available to girls through areas as well as urban ones.
1: We want to ensure that the environment, whether it's the education environment or the policies, uh, take that into account so that we move from this 30 percent representation to a higher level
0: of, of girls to be um, engaged in this and an important um, uh, area, which is the future, as I had said. So we need to ensure, strengthen advocacy, uh, even within our government, within our communities, that this is not exclusively for boys, for young men. That these
4: uh, these issues of STEM and careers in STEM are open.
3: Adu says another key area that ought to be looked is the stereotypes. In technologies. She says most programs and technologies are produced with a male perspective, which could be addressed by getting more girls involved. She says the COVID 19 pandemic has exposed inequalities based on gender and on social and economic status. It also underscores the importance of digital technology in Africa and its economic development. She says studies have shown that about 11 million girls globally may not return to the classroom after the pandemic and the use of technology could be the best way to address that gap. Edu says it is evident that technology is no longer a luxury for a few but a necessity for involvement and for expanding educational opportunities. Reporting for VOA, this is sort of in Drasso in the Ashanti region of Ghana.
0: Surging food prices fueled by the war in Ukraine may lead to social unrest in Africa, according to a warning today from the International Monetary Fund. AFP quoted the IMF as saying most countries south of the Sahara are already seeing a slowdown in economic growth from last year and the impact will be amplified by the rising costs of wheat and fuel. The head of the IMF's Africa Department, Abba Amro Selassie, told AFP he was worried by the twin impact of the higher food and fuel costs, which already are battering the great majority of African countries that are not oil or gas exporters. He said the international community needs to step up support to African countries as aggressively as possible. The shutdowns of oil fields in Libya further squeezes global supply and represent additional upward pressure for prices. U.S. Ambassador to Libya Richard Norlden has advised Libyans to make use of high oil prices and not cut production. Libya's oil minister said oil fields may reopen within days. Rianan Smith, Managing Editor of the London-based Libya Analysis, discussed oil politics in Libya with VOA Senior Analyst Mohamed El-Shinawi.
4: Yeah, there is certainly, you know, in theory an incentive for Libyans not to keep the oil off because of the high oil prices. But at the same time, that, that in some ways makes the pressure greater. And I think the concern is that if those... You know increased oil revenue are going into the wrong hands then actually it probably increases the incentive for the you know rival powers to to cut off the oil we have seen statements by the oil minister saying that fields are going to be open. We've also seen bashaga in the last couple of days doing a tour of the, some of the oil ports that have been closed and meeting with some of the communities there. So it may well be that we do see some movement and some of these uh, oil blockades lift in the coming days. However, I think it won't be because of the GNU own minister negotiating. He doesn't have much leverage, but it may well be that the Protests themselves are convinced by being visited by Bashaga, by and or that Haftar, who is believed to be kind of the instigating person behind these uh, these uh, blockades, has kind of made his point um uh, you know is willing to kind of let some of the oil come back online so we may see it change in the next few days, but unfortunately, even if they do come back on. I think this does set a, a dangerous precedent and we may well see more of these types of moves if the political instability, you know, maintains in Libya.
0: So much attention focused on the Russian invasion of Ukraine. The risk of new conflict in Libya appears to be intensifying. Some experts are detecting that Haftar is losing patience and that could lead to a situation that can easily deteriorate. Do you agree with this analysis?
4: Yeah, I certainly think that the longer this political instability goes on, the more danger there is of kind of miscalculation between rival groups. So with Hafta, the, one of the key reasons he is back from the Shah government um, is because he, is, you know, he realized in the 2020 Tripoli conflict that he wouldn't be able to take Tripoli by force, and that's the case now. He doesn't have the backing either domestically or internationally at the moment to do that. So he's hoping that through this new government, he can exert financial and some political control over the capital via that route however you know as seems likely the government doesn't manage to take control in Tripoli. we have parallel governments that don't have access to the oil revenue then he may well look for other ways to exert that control and i think that's why we're seeing him backing some of these oil at least covertly but backing these oil blockades however the one positive thing i would say is we have seen certainly in tripoli and also in the east there isn't an appetite for fighting at the moment so i don't think there's going to be none of the armed groups are kind of planning for war or hoping for an escalation of conflict however as instability increases when you've got rival governments, the the danger is that the chances of miscalculation rises, and that could lead to something escalating further down the line. So I think it's a worrying situation, but I don't expect there to be major kind of conflict anytime soon.
0: That was Rhiannon Smith, Managing Editor of the London-based Libya Analysis, speaking with my colleague, Mohamed al Shanawi. Over the last 9 months, Tunisian President Kais Saied has steadily consolidated control of the country, suspending then dissolving parliament, dismissing the government, dismantling the Supreme Judicial Council and replacing most of Tunisian electoral committee. Looking at what he might do next to completely grab power, reporter Angie Omar spoke with Radwan Masmoudi, founder and president of the Center for the Study of Islam and Democracy in Washington, D.C. He's a frequent commentator on several TV networks.
5: Well, I think that uh, what's been uh, happening in Tunisia over the last nine months is a coup, but in slow motion. So rather than taking the, you know, breaking down the government and taking over everything in one shot, he's been doing it slowly every month. He takes control of uh, one aspect of the government or one branch of the government uh, or closes down one institution that used to be independent uh, of the executive branch. So it is now, finally, we can say that uh, basically he has taken over most of the uh, government, the the executive branch, the legislative branch, and the uh, judicial branch. And apparently his next move, he wants to appoint a committee to write a new constitution uh, and he wants to do a referendum for the new constitution in July 25, but using the electoral committee that he just appointed, which is of course not independent and uh, therefore the the whole process is not being uh, free and fair uh, uh, elections and referendums.
3: Tunisian political parties have resorted to the streets to resolve their battles at the constitutional institutions, namely the constitutional court tasked with resolving contentious issues between parliament and the presidency over their constitutional prerogatives have failed to do so. What do you make of dissents resorting to the streets to resolve the problem of Said's power grab? Well,
5: that is the weakness of the uh, democratic uh, system in T- that is still in transition, is still being built. The constitutional court was was never uh, appointed, was never completely functioning, and uh, that is why it was uh, there was no constitutional court to stop Qais Saied' uh, power grab or coup against uh, the other branches. And uh, of course, that was a mistake. And uh, now there is a uh, contentious legitimacy uh, of the constitution. Of, uh, of his action. And also, the, the parliament is starting to meet again in virtual meetings. Uh, but we have seen uh, on March 30th, a majority of the members of the parliament have met in a virtual meeting and they have declared and they have voted with a with with majority that the actions of the president are illegal and therefore n- null and void. Uh, and uh, in reaction to that, Qais Saeed has uh, declared that this was a coup against him and he's now uh, investigating the members of the parliament who participated in- in, in that meeting. So I think that the battle over the legitimacy and the constitutionality of uh, whether the parliament is right or the president is right and who has the right to defend the constitution, I think will continue. But it has become clear that at least in my opinion, that Qais is completely outside of legitimacy. And I think the, the demonstrations in the streets will continue because people will uh, in Tunisia have tasted freedom and have uh, enjoyed the democracy in the last 10 years
3: the battle for power between Tunisian president Kais Saied and the parliament headed by Rashid Ghanoushi is escalating and has moved to the streets what could that lead to
5: well, I think uh, hopefully it will not lead to violence in the streets. I think everybody is uh, being very careful to uh, not escalate too much and not allow the situation to to deteriorate and uh, to become uh, violence, to, to have violence in the streets and in the dem- violent demonstrations. I think everybody wants to resolve this through peaceful means. And uh, ultimately, even if these uh, the referendum happens in July uh, 25, it will have very little low participation, probably less than 10%. And therefore, it will not be legitimate. At the end of the, of the road, there is only one solution, which is that everybody have to sit down around the negotiation table.
0: The Zimbabwe government's relationship with businesses in the country has hit its lowest ebb amid accusations of economic sabotage. Adigado gives us more on the story. President Emerson Nang'awe
6: threatened his government would shut down a number of major businesses and banks in the country for their alleged role in the country's economic wars In recent months, the price of cooking oil has nearly doubled to over one thousand five hundred Zimbabwe dollars for a two-liter bottle, but it is shot to three hundred fifty Zimbabwe dollars from about two hundred seventy, placing it out of reach for most families. The US dollar is trading at around 300 Zimbabwean dollars on the parallel market and 160 the official currency auction. With stagnant salaries and global market forces such as the war in Ukraine raising prices, many Zimbabweans are struggling financially. Some economic analysts say the government's own actions and economic policies compound the problems. Economic analyst Gift Mugano says the president is misinformed about the causes of the economic chaos period. He says wasteful government. As much as 34% of the budget goes toward capital expenditure, mainly road and dam construction projects.
2: This money is finding itself in the black market as uh, beneficiaries of those projects uh, who we'll just go and buy foreign currency. So this has been the trend. And we told the government sometime at Victoria Falls, uh, where the Minister of Finance was presenting a paper on the pre budget consultation, that uh, stop funding. Uh, construction using short-term finance.
6: The Confederation of Zimbabwe Industries reportedly has urged the government to suspend the national currency auction system. The comments were in a private report that was leaked to media and reported in several news outlets. The CZI says the auction is partly to blame for the rapid weakening of the Zimbabwe dollar. CZI also advised government not to raid the foreign currency accounts of companies which the government has done in the past. In response to the CZI, central bank governor John Mangudia said the auction system would remain in place, saying removing it would cause chaos and and shortage of goods. Mugano begs CZI's position on the matter.
2: And also the auction system is not working because, uh, you know, you cannot get more than 10 weeks to get your money once you have been allocated money. And they are using an average exchange rate, not the highest bidder and they don't even advise the market how much money is available. It can take more than a month for
6: businesses to have access to the foreign exchange they bid for in the open when businesses can't secure money on time, they often resort to getting currency in the parallel market. Prime are with the CZI says, business is not playing for the price increases in currency freefall. He cites a number of global and local forces affecting the economy, such as COVID-19 pandemic, supply chain disruption, and world oil prices. He said, however, legal action should be taken against businesses that violate the law.
2: As a business uh, member organization, uh, we always encourage our members to act ethically and within the laws of the country. Any member who goes outside uh, those parameters and flouting the laws of the land must be prosecuted. Zimbabwe's economy is...
6: Long been battered, and over the past two years, the COVID 19 pandemic has created new shortages of goods and currency. While the inflation rate topped 90% last year, the government blames international economic sanctions for the situation, but its critics, such as Mugano blame mismanagement.
0: Reporting of UAE, this is Abigondo in Bulawayo, Zimbabwe. And that wraps up this edition of africa news tonight i'm yeheyes Wuhib in washington for all the latest developments on the continent 24 7 visit our website at voanews.com on behalf of our producer Barrow, thank you again for tuning in and choosing the voice of america